0: You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation.
1: How about now, Mark? Let me
2: see.
0: Uh, Well, it's really long, but it's still not
3: long
2: enough. (sighs) Okay, let me try adding some more broomsticks. Hold on.
4: Hey, Mark. That's a really long stick you're taping together. Yeah. What exactly are you and Sandin building?
2: Oh, uh, hey, Molly, and uh, Maya, Mira, w- we're making the world's longest selfie stick so we can take the world's most epic selfie.
5: Can I be in it too? Oh, uh, hey, Bob, I didn't see you there. Nah, I get that a lot. Sure. Uh, all right.
2: But technically, everyone's going to be in it. I'm going to attach this flagpole too, and maybe even a fire pole. We have a fire pole, right? Wait, what kind of selfie is this exactly? A selfie of the entire world. Like
4: all of it?
2: From top to bottom.
5: Wait, so, so everyone will be in it too? Ah, snap. I thought I was special.
4: You'll need to be in space to take that picture, won't you?
5: Not if you
2: have a really long selfie
3: stick. Ugh. Okay, try again. Hold on. Uh, Okay, okay, let's see.
4: Wow, it's clearing the clouds. I can't even see where it ends anymore.
6: That is impressive. Are you getting my good side? Uh, Yeah,
3: uh, hold on. I think we might have done it. I just need to snap a pic
4: to see if the whole world is in this photo. Oh. What?
2: Who's going to press the button to actually take the picture?
5: I'm pretty sure
6: I can't reach it.
2: Maybe we could uh, build a second pole and hoist that up to press the camera button?
6: Good luck figuring this out. We gotta go tape the show.
2: Yeah.
4: If you get the shot, tag us in it. Later, guys. Uh,
6: Do
5: I have time to change into a better shirt? This one has mustard on it. I, I don't want to be forever remembered as the guy with mustard on his shirt.
6: Brains on from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom and my co-host today are super sister duo Maya and Mira from Charlottesville, Virginia. Hey there. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so, you are interested in space. So what fascinates you most about space?
4: That there are other planets like Earth.
6: What about you, Mira?
4: Everything.
6: <laughs> well, there's a very particular reason we wanted to do this episode in this month of this year.
4: It's the 50th anniversary of a very special moment for planet Earth. A moment that really captured the attention of the people on it.
6: We'll let producer Natalie Brickstreicher tell this tale.
2: It's winter vacation and your family is heading out on a road trip.
6: Come on, kids. We're leaving. Did you remember your swimsuit, your toothbrush, and your vitamins? Oh, and your boots, and your fleece sweater grandma bought you, and your Shrek pajamas, and your Spider-Man socks, and your hockey stick, and your ice skate.
2: Now, imagine that this road trip is 240,000 miles away from home.
4: Dad? What's up? I
2: have to go to the bathroom. Me too. Well, geez, why didn't you say anything when we passed that rest area 10,000 miles back? And what if this destination was somewhere no one else had ever been?
6: Hello? Hello? Ugh, why didn't we book a hotel room?
2: Well, 50 years ago, three astronauts did just that. On December 21, 1968, Bill Anders, Frank Borman, and James Lovell became the first human beings to ever leave Earth's orbit. They were a part of Apollo 8, the second manned spaceflight mission in NASA's Apollo space travel program. But they weren't landing on the moon. That would come a few months later. Their only goal was to circle it to see if it was even possible for other spacecrafts to one day land there. So, on December 24th, these three astro-travelers were road-tripping through space, about to fly around the moon for the first time. As their rocket soared over the lunar surface, they saw something that totally surprised them.
5: They uh, looked up and saw the Earth rise before them coming over the lunar surface and they scrambled to take a picture to capture that.
2: That's Emmanuel Vaughn Lee, director of the documentary Earthrise, named after the very picture the astronauts took. The sight of our small planet far away above the surface of the moon was something no one had ever seen before. The Earth was just this bright dot floating above the moon's horizon and astronaut Bill Anders had to capture it.
5: It was the first selfie that was ever taken of the Earth. It was a photograph that was not planned, and if you listen to the audio recording, you hear the crew kind of quickly scrambling and expressing their uh, emotions and feelings about the, the the incredible, beautiful sight they're seeing. Quick, grab some color film. That's the most beautiful sight. We've got to get a picture of that. Oh
7: my God, look at that picture over there. There's the Earth coming up. Wow, that's pretty. Hey, don't take that that's my schedule. <laughs> You got a color film, Jim?
5: Hand me a roll of color, quick. Oh, man, that's crazy. Quick. It's this beautiful blue marble in the blackness of space set against this gray, lifeless body that is the moon. It was the first color photograph taken of the Earth from another planet.
2: Today, it's so easy to find images of the Earth that you can live stream video of the planet from the International Space Station. But, back in 1968, all people had were drawings, maps, and globes. Nobody had a real sense of what our planet truly looked like. When Apollo 8 returned, the Earthrise picture was printed in newspapers around the world, and it blew everyone's minds.
6: That's the Earth? We're so tiny. It's beautiful. I wish
2: I could live there. Wait a minute, I already do. Seeing the Earth from this new perspective gave people a chance to think about our planet in a new way and, as a result, influenced creative people the world over.
3: This picture should be a postage
2: stamp.
5: This picture makes me want to paint.
2: This
6: picture makes
2: me want to sing. One guy named Archibald McLeish saw the picture and started writing a poem. It was soon published in newspapers. To see the Earth
3: as it truly is, small and blue and beautiful,
2: in that eternal silence where it floats, is to see ourselves as riders on the earth together. That's then-President Richard Nixon reading from the poem at his first inauguration in 1969.
5: Brothers in that bright loveliness and the eternal cold. Brothers who
2: know now, they are truly brothers. Nixon would soon help create organizations to help the planet like the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and the Environmental Protection Agency. Plus, the Earthrise photo is also thought to have inspired the founders of Earth Day, which started the very next year in 1970. Filmmaker Emmanuel von Lee says it was a picture of the world that truly changed the world.
5: There could be other photographs that are very powerful, but I don't think any other photograph will capture uh, what that photograph did. And it really stands not just for that moment, but for what is a shift in consciousness, a shift in perspective that, again, can't be replicated, because once that shift has happened, you can't go back. This photograph represented uh, a much more unified view of what was possible, and I think it broke a lot of people's perception about who we are, where we are, and um, you know what it means to be part of one shared planet. So, it's, it, I don't, I, it's one of those photographs that's going to stand the test of time, and in hundreds of years to come, I think it'll still be as emblematic as it is today.
2: It's been said that a picture is worth a thousand words, but the Earthrise photograph went far beyond that. It gave the people of Earth a new perspective, that we are an incredibly small part of a vast universe. It's a perspective that is challenging, humbling, and even for a brief second, unifying. We may be separated by schools, cities, and countries, but this picture reminds us we all live on the same beautiful blue orb called Earth.
6: It's hard to imagine what it was like for everyone to see a picture of the Earth for the first time. So if you could write a short message to planet Earth, like a planetary postcard, what would you say? Maya, do you want to go first?
4: Um, sure. Dear planet Earth, I've explored the world and I hope this postcard will give you some memory of your happy moments.
6: So, Mira, what would you want to say to planet Earth in a postcard?
4: Dear planet Earth, I hope you stay strong and stay here for a long time so our ancestors will remember us
6: Very nice letters you two Now here are some cosmic correspondence From some of our listeners
4: If I could write a letter to planet Earth I would say Dear
0: planet Earth Thank you for giving us fresh air It is really helpful Love, Rachel Dear Earth I love you And people should stop throwing food and waste food
4: Dear planet Earth Earth is good we must be kind to you. Thank you for keeping us safe. Thank you for the paintings we get to look at. Dear Us, I like you, your history. You have amphibians, dinosaurs, reptiles, and mammals. Love, Jack.
6: A big thanks to Jack, Evan, Oliver, Caroline, and Rachel for sending in those heartfelt letters to Earth. And we agree, Earth is a pretty neat place in a pretty neat solar system. So it's no wonder so many of you are curious about our little neck of the cosmic woods, too.
0: Hi, my name is Nuri, and I live in Mumbai, India. What was that for the Big Bang? What was the Big Bang, and how was all the planets made up? How are planets made? How did the Earth form? How did the solar system form?
6: Thanks to Bridget, Kylie, Nora, Saryu, and Nori for those excellent questions. Earth has a history, so does the solar system. In fact, there's a story behind the whole universe.
0: Hey, Jupiter, what's this book?
8: What's that, Earth? Oh, that's our Cosmic Family photo album.
0: What's that picture?
8: Ha, that's when our older brother Mars started sporting that crazy volcano, Olympus Mons. <laughs> he thought he was so cool. This'll never go out of style. Haha.
0: <laughs> what about this?
8: Oh, uh, that's our great-aunt, twice removed, I think? Her name was Betty Black Hole. We stopped inviting her to family reunions because one time she ate all the potato salad and also all the light and matter in the surrounding area. Kind of rude, if you ask me.
0: What about... Here,
8: why don't we start at the first page, Earth? (laughs) This is where it all began.
0: That picture is so grainy and old, I can barely tell what it is.
8: Yeah, it's from 14 billion years ago. That's our great, 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 great... Okay,
0: I get it. It's very, very, very old.
8: Okay, well, that's the Big Bang. That's the moment when the universe just sort of popped into existence. Why? We don't really know, Earth. Why? Because we weren't around to see it. Why? Hey, you see that button in the book? Why don't you just try pressing that?
7: Okay. Once upon a time, there was nothing, and then there was everything. We call that moment the Big Bang, but it really wasn't a bang like an explosion like we're familiar with. It really was just a big transition when the universe went from not existing to existing.
0: Whoa, who's that?
8: That's Laura Danley. She's an astrophysicist. She helped us put together this album. She's super into cosmic genealogy. Check it out. Flip to the next page.
0: What's this
7: picture? It looks like space clouds.
8: Well, press the button to find out.
7: Well, after the Big Bang, all the universe was just filled with matter and energy like a big soup. But then, slowly and surely, gravity started pulling little islands of material together into galaxies. Like
0: our galaxy, the Milky Way.
8: You mean Milky Way.
7: Yeah, Milky Way.
8: Well, we come much later in the book. So that spacey soup stuff turned into galaxies and stars. Stars died off and released all kinds of materials like carbon, oxygen, gold. You know, a lot of the stuff in planets like you. Ah, here we are.
0: That's us?
8: Yeah, that's our home. It formed about 4.6 billion years ago. Why? I can actually answer that one. It formed because. I know,
0: I know. It formed because our sun formed and created a solar system around it.
8: Wait, if you knew, then why did you ask why?
0: I like asking why. It's my favorite question.
7: Before our sun was here, there was just a cloud of gas. But then gravity pulled that cloud of gas together, and the cloud got denser and denser and denser until finally it was pulled together into a star, into our sun. Well, at the same time that the sun is collapsing, it's also spinning. So as it collapses further and further, it spins more and more. And uh, so surrounding the forming star is a disk of gas that falls into a spinning disk. And that's the disk out of which the planets in the solar system were made. Oh, geez. Who's that?
8: That's me in my younger years. So awkward.
7: That's not you,
0: Jupiter. Jupiter. That thing is small. You're ginormous.
8: Yeah, but I wasn't always a gas giant. I started out small, like you. I was a protoplanet first, but I just kept growing. Check it out.
7: In the spinning disk of gas and dust, uh, clumps start to form in protoplanets, little planetesimals they call them, and those are just chunks of dust and material and ice that are also floating around, circling the newly forming star. So those smash into each other and get bigger chunks, which smash into each other and make bigger chunks, and eventually you build up to the planets.
0: Cool. I want to smash into things, too.
8: You did. See?
0: That's me as a baby?
8: Yeah. Saturn and I were already very big by the time all the space dust and ice chunks started crashing into each other in orbit, making baby you. See? There you are, orbiting the sun as it forms flying into space rocks and getting bigger and bigger.
0: But then why am I so much smaller than you still? Will I get to be your size?
8: Sadly, little sis, you're done growing.
0: No fair!
8: Well, you know how we were all orbiting in this disk of ice chunks and dust and stuff while the sun was forming? Once the sun finally formed, it turned on like a mega-giant furnace, making sunlight and letting out a huge gust of solar wind. Whoosh!
7: And it blew away most of the remaining material that was inside the inner part of the disk. So we just flat ran out of material. The turning on sun blew it all away, and there was nothing left to make the planets grow any larger.
0: Oh man, I hate being so small.
8: Yeah, but look at it this way. You're the only planet in our family covered in oceans and plants and animals. That's pretty awesome, dude. I guess. Now think about it. Your brother Mars, he was warm and wet at one point, but now he's all cold and lonely. No atmosphere. Oh, and there's Venus. She's a hot mess. So close to the sun that all the water pretty much boiled off. She has runaway greenhouse gases. Super overheated. Not much could survive there. But you? You were just the right size and in just the right spot. When you formed, you were hot and all this water evaporated into the air, but you had enough gravity to keep it from flying away.
0: That's how I made my atmosphere.
8: Exactly. Plus, you have a molten core that creates a magnetic field.
0: Yeah, that protects me from solo radio nations.
8: You mean solar radiation? And yeah, that radiation would wipe out life on you if you didn't have that magnetic field as a shield.
0: I guess that I am pretty special.
8: See, I might be the biggest planet in our family, but you've got a pretty cool backstory. So, what's it like being covered in life?
0: Kinda itchy, actually.
6: ba 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 brains on. You know what goes well with the mysteries of Earth, space, and the universe? A mystery sound? You read my mind.
4: Mystery sound.
6: Here it is. Okay. So I'm going to, before you even guess, I'm going to give you a little clue because sometimes our mystery sounds are directly related to our episode topic and sometimes they're not. And this is one of those times where it's not. So what do you think that sound was?
4: It sounds like one of those instruments that has all of these like little beads and sand droplets. And when you turn it around, it makes like a shh.
6: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A rain stick.
4: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that.
6: Good guess. Mira, what do you think it is?
4: I sort of agree. It also sounds like something, um, like many little things dropping down at the same time.
6: Someone dropping coins or something? Yeah. Hmm. Excellent guesses. Okay. We're going to have the answer later in the show. Do you have a mystery sound to share? Or a burning question you just have to ask? Or maybe you want to tell us what you'd like to say to Earth? Do all those things at BrainsOn.org slash contact. That's how we heard from this listener.
4: Hi, my name is Eli. I live in Hanfield, New Jersey. My question is, why do dreams seem longer than they are? We also love, love, love your drawings. Yeah, keep them coming.
6: They totally brighten our day, and we love sharing them on social media.
4: Maybe draw Mark and Sandin's epic selfie You could even squeeze our buddy
6: Bob in there. We'll have the answer to that question about dreams during our moment of um and give the newest rundown of Friends to join the Brains Honor Roll at the end of the show. And speaking of Friends... Here's our pal, Joy Dolo. Hey, Molly. Hi, Joy. Joy is the host of our new history show, Forever Ago, which we've been sharing a little bit of every week. Yep. Every episode, we dig deep into the history of one cool thing. Like, have you ever wondered where shoes came from? You know, I never really have thought about that before. I guess I kind of take shoes for granted. But they really, yeah, they had to get started somewhere.
7: Or some when. This week's episode is all about the backstory of shoes. Here's a little preview.
4: The oldest pair that have been unearthed are called the Fort Rock Sandals, which were found in Oregon in 1938 by an anthropologist named Luther Cressman.
5: <coughs> wow, there
3: sure is a lot of ash in this cave.
4: Cressman was exploring Fort Rock Cave, and inside there was a layer of ash from a volcano eruption that happened thousands of years ago.
2: Just gotta keep digging. That's my motto. When you're in a hole, keep digging, and all your problems will be solved. <coughs>
4: And then he found something he had never seen before.
2: Wait a minute. What's this?
4: At first glance, Cressman's discovery might have just looked like a bundle of ropes. But on closer inspection...
2: This looks like a pair of shoes?
6: You can hear the full episode and the season finale of Forever Ago this Thursday. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.
7: And if you like the show, leave us a
1: review. All right. Thanks for having me, Molly for the last time we'll miss you we'll see you soon i miss you already bye bye
4: keep listening
6: this is brains on i'm molly i'm maya and i'm mira earth is very clearly special but is it totally unique
4: are there other planets like earth in the universe to answer that question we have a special guest
6: Lindy Elkins-Tanton is the director of the School of Earth and Space Exploration at Arizona State University, co-chair of the Interplanetary Initiative, and she's the principal investigator of NASA's Psyche mission.
1: Welcome, Lindy. Hi. It's great to meet you all. Why are planets round? Planets are round because, mainly because of the force of gravity. Uh, As the planet gets bigger and bigger, the very material that it's made of creates gravity that pulls the material closer together. And um, the lowest energy state, as a physicist would say, the easiest way for all the material to be as close together as possible is in a sphere. And so that's why planets are round. And that's why some really small asteroids are not round, because they just don't have enough gravity to pull them into roundness.
4: That's really cool. I did not know that. Are there any
1: planet, other planets like Earth? We think that there must be, just because it turns out there are so many planets out in the universe. It was only about 30 years ago that people didn't even know there were any planets outside of our solar system. And now we've discovered that virtually every star you see in the sky has got planets around it. How do they do that from so far away? It's been so fast, uh, the rate at which scientists have figured out how to spot planets around other stars. You can't actually take a picture of the planet because they're too small, but you can see if the planet blocks a little of the light from its star as that light comes toward the Earth. And sometimes you can see the star itself wobble a little bit as the planet goes around it. We're just getting to the point, um, some of our colleagues can take actual pictures of the planets. And they're not in great detail yet, but you can see a disk. And then the question comes, how do you know what that planet is like? You can know something about its temperature by how close it is to its star. And then Other scientists look at the light that shines off the planet to the Earth, and then they can learn something about the composition of its atmosphere. And so bit by bit, you put together little pieces of evidence of what life on that planet might be like. Do other planets have auroras? I really love auroras. They're so beautiful. And I've been thinking about trying to make a trip to see more auroras they're caused by little charged particles in space getting trapped in the earth's magnetic field so the thing the two things you would need to make an aurora around any planet are a magnetic field, which not every planet has, and charged particles flying through space near that planet. And those are generally supplied by the star, so they would be around. Now, we've discovered that Jupiter has auroras. We can actually see the auroras on Jupiter. And uh, in fact, you can see them on the internet. So we know already that there are at least a few other planets that do have auroras. Wow. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about NASA's Psyche mission? yes, we've just were selected by NASA to create a robotic mission uh, not, with no people going into space, just a machine We'll launch it in twenty twenty two and it's going to fly out past Mars into the outer asteroid belt and it's going to visit a metal asteroid named Psyche. We have sent space probes out and they visited rocky planets like Venus and Mercury and the Moon and Mars, and icy moons and gas giants like Saturn and Jupiter, but we've never, humankind has never visited a metal object before. And so we don't really know what a metal object looks like. We can't even get a good image of it from Earth. We don't know what craters look like in metal, if there are spires and peaks, um, if the surface is shiny or rubbly. We really have no idea. So it's truly exploration. But the bigger goal even is to inspire everybody here on earth to feel bolder in their own lives and to take a more courageous step out into the unknown think about this little psyche mission going off into space to discover something new that is so exciting i cannot wait to see what you guys learn yay (laughs) thank you lindy thank you all so much for inviting me on i've really enjoyed this
6: Now, before we go any further, let's figure out that mystery sound. Here it is one more time. Okay, any new thoughts about what that sound might be?
4: It also kind of sounds like one of those videos with a waterfall falling
6: and all these birds tweeting. Oh, yeah, there's definitely like a bird kind of sound there. What do you think, Mira? Any other new thoughts?
4: Like a high pitch, like a bird with a high pitch.
6: Really good guesses. You ready for the answer? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is a sound sent to us by another set of sisters, Abigail and Emma, from San Antonio, Texas.
0: That was the sound of cut up potatoes baking in the oven. Oh. Have you ever heard a
6: sound like that from potatoes? No. <laughs> yeah, I think they have to get very crispy to make that sound. This
0: sound reminds me of chirping birds, and I like it because I don't expect to hear this sound from my food. We make these potatoes every other week because it's my daddy's favorite meal called chicken bacon potato ranch casserole. I've eaten it about 40 times and I think it's yummy.
6: Well, that's it for this. Is that a launch?
4: I guess Monk and Sandin are on their way to take the selfie. I wonder how it's going. Just a little further out. and Perfect. Stop the ship. Stop the ship.
2: Okay, okay. C- can you see the whole thing through the window now? There it is. Earth. Ever seen anything more beautiful?
1: Wow. It's really pretty,
2: dude. Okay, let's finally take this whole Earth selfie. Are you ready? yeah, yeah. Hold on. Let me just get my hair right. Okay, cool. On the count of three.
7: One... Two. Wait, wait. Three. Ah, something zipped across the window just when you snapped the picture. Really? Uh, let me check the photo. Hold on.
2: Wait, it's a guy in a spacesuit blocking the Earth. Is that? <laughs> ah! I did it! I'm in your picture. <laughs> Bob. You got photobobbed. Oh, or
3: should I say, photobobbed? Ha! Ha! Ha!
2: Oh man, he's blocking the entire planet. Yeah. And wait, I, is that a mustard stain on his spacesuit? A stain? Uh, again? No!
4: The first color picture of Earth is a photo called Earthrise. It inspired a lot of
6: people and captured the public's imagination. Our solar system started out as gas and dust floating in space.
4: But after many years and lots of cosmic collisions, the sun and planets were formed. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is made by Molly Bloom, Mark Sanchez, and Sandin Totten.
6: And it's produced... By American Public Media. We had production help from Ned liebrich and Reen Barger, and engineering help from Michael DeMarc, Johnny Vince Evans, Sandy Houseman, and Corey Streppel. Many thanks to Margarita Figueroa, Eric Ringham, Jamila Joyner, Paul Tosto, Juliet and Hattie Davis, Meg Martin, Ewan Kerr, Valerie Kaylor, Anna Weggle, and Coco Sanchez.
4: Brains On is a nonprofit public radio podcast. And we rely on donations from our listeners to keep
6: making new episodes. You can donate and check out our cool thank you gifts at BrainsOn.org slash donate.
4: Now, before we go, it's time for a moment of um. Um.
2: Um. 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 Um.
4: Um. Um. My question is, why do dreams seem longer than they are?
3: Deirdre Barrett, I'm an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School. Research finds most dreams seem pretty much their real length. We walk through a setting or have a conversation and maybe wander one other place and it feels like it's been about five or ten minutes and that's how long we've actually been dreaming. But some dreams do feel like they've just gone on for days at a time. Our brain is in a really different state when we're dreaming. There's an area called the prefrontal cortex that's right behind our foreheads. And that area is much less active. Most of our logic comes out of there. That also is where we'll find points of timekeeping and estimating time and noticing what comes before something else. So because that's much less active, we're not as good a judge of how much time has passed. And I think also some dreams are a little bit like movies. If you really think back over that dream epic that seemed to cover weeks of dream life, it's a little bit like a movie where you saw the high points. You know, something happened and then something that was kind of supposed to be three days later happened and then something that was supposed to be once the person was older happened. And yet, just like a movie, you could depict 20 years passing by, you know, in five minutes of film if you edited it right.
6: Um, 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 This is not a dream, and I'm ready to groove through this list of names. It's the Brain's Honor Roll, the rad kids who make this show what it is by sharing their questions, mystery sounds, and drawings with us. Lolly from Ohio, Aiden from Newcastle, Ohio, Jasper, Casey, Nala, and Hatim from Calgary, Aubrey and Aaliyah from Chapel Hill, Tennessee, Adrian from Clarksville, Tennessee, Silas, Eliza, Jesse, and Naomi from Roanoke, Virginia, Ilai from Airdrie, Alberta, Olivia and Ben from Ann Arbor, Michigan, Alex from Salem, Virginia, William from Ames, Iowa, Chance, Eaton, and Rhett from Arrington, Tennessee, Zach and Josh from Seattle, Benjamin from Durham, North Carolina, Daniel from Gainesville, Florida, Remy from Los Angeles, Roa from Waterville, Maine, Emma from Astoria, New York, Lucia from Fort Collins, Colorado Aaron from Spring Lake Park, Minnesota Aria from Nashville Joshua and Caleb from Durham, North Carolina Kate, Josh, Andrew and Peter from Fort Collins, Colorado Julian from Lindsay, Ontario Sophie from Mountain View, California Graham from Astoria, New York Parker from Townsend, Massachusetts Amelie and Frankie from Granville, Ohio Zoe from Washington, D.C. Spencer and Elliot from Miramichi, New Brunswick Zoe from Buffalo, New York Liliana from Galena, Illinois Ellison and Ben from Lithia, Florida Emery from Cambridge, Massachusetts Tannen from Jamestown, Rhode Island Samuel from Uxbridge, Massachusetts, Henry and Alice from Los Angeles, Sophie from Singapore, Michael from Longmeadow, Massachusetts, Andrew from Hopewell, New Jersey, Robert and Sophia from Edmond, Oklahoma, Andrew from Beaumont, Texas, Riley and Embry from Delmar, California, and Toby from Brisbane, Australia. See you next time when we'll answer more of your questions.
4: Thanks for listening!